Good morning. So good to see you here, and thanks for joining us online as well. As Nick said, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, so I invite you to join me there. Uh, We have walked through this series the last number of weeks. John started us off with the intro message of what is the church? What should we be about? Why does the church exist? The following week, we started to dive into our mission statement, which says developing followers of Jesus who serve to reach one more. So really this develop, serve, and reach idea. First week we talked about being the developing church, where Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, he said there's a couple things that, that it requires. Is one, that you deny yourself. Two, that you take up your cross. And three, that you follow after him. And so we talked about the implications of what that meant. Last week we looked at what does it mean to be the serving church. And talked about how there's something we do every single day, multiple times a day. There's a place that we gather, that we meet at, that we do this thing that if, what if we adjust that just one time during the week, what difference could it make? We talked about table fellowship, how Jesus met with Zacchaeus at a table, how the woman came and approached him at a table, and, and Jesus welcomed them there. And we talked about how table fellowship plus the presence of Jesus equals transformation. And that transformation is for people who follow Jesus, people for those who are seeking and trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing and this, this way of Christ, and, uh, and those who may be far from, from Christ in, the, in, the, in whatever way that may look. This week, we're talking about the reaching church. What does it mean to be a reaching church? And so in Mark chapter 4, we're going to read a narrative, uh, a parable, in fact, that Jesus told. So we're going to start. In verse 1 of chapter 4. It says this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, sat in and out of the lake, while all the people were along the shore at water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still others fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like the seed sown in rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, it lasts only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things 
come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So we see here in the gospel according to Mark, Jesus teaching from a parable. Really words that we can apply as Christians, those of us that claim to follow Jesus, that walk with Jesus, is when we read the word or we pray or we come and hear a message, we're receiving seed. And for some of us today, we take this and the worries of life will choke it out or the concerns about other things will cause us to forget or it's just not going to be there. But also, this is a passage often used for those who are not yet following Christ. That there's the message, the seed, the word of God is the tool, the, the seed that we go out with like the farmer sharing the message of Christ. And so we all want, when we share Jesus, we all want good soil, right? We want to have that conversation with someone who is ready to receive, who's like, oh yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. I want to hear more. Oh, what about this? Oh, that's really great. Okay, yep, I accept it. Like that's the ideal situation, but it's not always the case by any means. But what if we look at this a little bit differently? Recognizing that there's all sorts of soil around us, there's people all around us. What if it isn't just about finding good soil, but what if the parable is really about scattering that seed widely, and then as a farmer, as one in this narrative, it's about cultivating and preparing soil that may be rocky, may have thorns, may be along places where it's not going to grow. What if we have opportunity as followers of Jesus, not just to throw seed all over the place, just this is the word, this is what Jesus said, but actually to cultivate the ground around us, the places we walk in, the places that we exist, the places that we're called to every single day. What if, as in the statement says, we we're developing as followers of Jesus and we're serving, cultivating soil to reach one more? What if for that one more, we intentionally pray for that one more? What if for that one more, we intentionally serve that person? What if we invest in that person as a person and not as a project? What if we share what Christ has done for us? What if? What if? So a couple questions as we get going here. How many of you know someone who is not a follower of Jesus? By show of hands. Yep. All right. I would say all of us. How many of you are actively involved in the life of someone who is not a follower of Jesus? This should be all of us once again. If not, it should be. It should be. We need to move in the world. Jesus prayed that we wouldn't be taken out of the world, uh, but we'd be in it. We'd not be of the world, but we would be protected. He didn't say, like, go away and find some holy huddle. He he called us to the world. And as we think about why we do or do not interact with people who are not Christ followers, why we do or do not share the message of Jesus with people who are not Christ followers, there's really probably four big reasons that we don't. Craig Rochelle pointed these out, but these are, I think, pretty obvious that we can connect with all of them or maybe one of them. Uh, if you throw those up there, the, the four reasons that we may hesitate. First, we're afraid. I mean, like, if I have an opportunity to talk about Jesus, maybe, like, my heart starts racing, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what I should say, or what if I say something silly, or what if they ask me a question, or what if they think of me differently? Like, I'm afraid 
of what could come if I share Jesus. The second thing is we don't feel qualified. You feel like you haven't taken a class or you haven't read enough or you don't know enough. Maybe there's going to be that question that's going to be posed. And you're like, I don't know how to answer that. Or maybe you look at your life and you're like, ah, I'm a mess. I'm not qualified. As followers of Jesus, we're called to share, but this is a reason that may, we may hesitate. Third thing, we don't want to be pushy. Like we all have pushy people around us. Whatever they're pushing, some sort of product or group or organization or, or whatever it is, we do not want to be pushy. We don't want to be like that person. So we pull back and, and we don't share. Or the fourth thing is we're complacent. Maybe it's just not at the forefront of our mind. Maybe we just don't think about the implications of what it means if I never share with that person. That person never knows Jesus. So today, as we look at what it means to be a reaching church, I want us to address uh, three questions. The first two uh, we're going to cruise through. Actually, the first one we're going to cruise through. The second two we're going to spend a little bit more time on. These are the three questions. Is why do we share to reach? What do we share to reach? And how do we share to reach? So first question, why do we share to reach? It's because Jesus commanded it. And if we follow Jesus and we follow in the teachings and we follow what he says, we're commanded to do this. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So if we're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, if we're denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him, we're called to make disciples. We're disciples of Jesus who make others disciples of Jesus, baptizing, teaching them to obey the word of God. So, pretty straightforward. Why do we do this? Well, Jesus commanded it. So the second thing, what do we share to reach? Three ideas, three things. First, God loves you. Second thing, Jesus died for you. Third thing, salvation is available for you. So what do we share when we reach? Well, God loves you. Send his son Jesus to die for you. And you have a choice. You have an invitation to receive Jesus as your Savior. It's available for you. Nothing is forced, but it's available for you. So let's take a few moments just to walk through each of these. So the first one is God loves you. The first point there. This is found in one of the most basic verses that we teach our kids if they're growing up in, in churches, is John 3.16. Is for God so loved the world. He loved the world. This is his motivation. That he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life or eternal life. But it's also verse 17, which says this, For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God is motivated by love. Therefore, we're motivated by love as a reaching church. As a church that reaches, we need to be motivated by love. This reason, not to condemn the world, that's not our job, but to save the world. To save, Jesus is saving the world. This is all done on the cross. He did it for you, he did it for me. Second thing is Jesus died for you. So not only does God love you, but Jesus died for you. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we look at this, that Jesus died for our sins. Now, sin is not a word that I'm guessing you used a lot of this week in your everyday conversations. In fact, the word sin is is being used less and less. To many, it seems like this antiquated type of term. This unloving term. I mean, we say things like, well, I messed up, or I made a mistake, or I did wrong. But I'm guessing if you sinned against your spouse or your kid or your boss at work, you didn't go to him and be like, you probably said something like, I messed up. You didn't go like, I sinned against you, boss, right? I mean, it's not a word that we use. And so we, we use these different words. But sin is not just doing bad things. It's rather, it's doing things and therefore, thereby failing to love God and love others. So anything that causes us to fail to love God and fail to love others is sin. Romans says that everything that does not come by faith or come from faith is sin. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. In 1 John, it says that sin is lawlessness. So what is the law that is being referred to? Well, it's the, the word of God. And so we look at this, that there's sin, and that sin is measured by the word of God, not by popular vote, by cultural trends, or by feelings that I have. But there's a measuring point for sin. And the word teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. We've, we've all fallen short. Fallen short of this measure of God, this perfection of God. And 1 John 1, 8 says this. It says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, so we're just like, ah, sin is this like old thought. It is just this unloving way to talk about choices. If we claim to be without it, we're deceiving ourselves and others, and the truth is not in us. As we just saw, the truth is the word of God. The truth comes from God. But thankfully, there's an answer. 1 John 1, verse 9, the following verse says, If... We confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess, if we acknowledge that there's sin, if there's acknowledgement that I have sinned, then we can be purified. Or in Romans, it says it this way. All are justified, meaning set right, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presenting Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, meaning one that takes the sin through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So we're justified freely, made right freely by the grace of God, but we need to receive it by faith. First Peter says it this way, he being Jesus committed no sin. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so not only is it that God loves you, that God loves me, that Jesus died for you. He made a way for sin to be forgiven, for you to be made right in his eyes, to receive his righteousness. And as this original passage in 1 Corinthians said, that not only there's sin, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected. And if we had more time today, I would dive into resurrection again. 
but resurrection matters. And I encourage you to go back if you're interested. In September 5th, we did a message called Labor. We talked about resurrection and why resurrection is crucial to followers of Jesus. So what we share, we share that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, and the third thing we share is that salvation is available for you. In Romans, it says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So this passage in Romans says, this is salvation. Jesus is Lord. And I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. This passage says, you're saved. This is salvation. So what do we share? We share that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, and that salvation is available for you. And so here's the deal. I threw a whole lot of scripture at you, and you're like, uh, if I'm sharing this, I, this is a lot of scripture. This is the thought pattern that we share. I just want you to know Jesus loves you, that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, and that and if you confess, if you believe and say Jesus is Lord, salvation is available for you. That's, that's what we share. This is how we reach. So the last part here is how do we share to reach? So we talked about why and we talked about what. Now how? We're going to sit on this for a few minutes here. This is a part where maybe we start to go like, well, this is where I get nervous. This is where I start to sweat a little bit. This is where I feel like I normally feel guilty in these messages. That's not the point. I want to give some real practical application that we can all do. No matter where you're at, no matter how you're feeling, uh, whatever it may be. The first thing in the how is we pray for opportunities. We pray for opportunities. Why do we pray for opportunities? Well, it gives us perspective. Because if I wake up and I, I say something like, God, use me today. Use my eyes to see what I need to see, my ears to hear what I need to hear. Use my words to share whatever it is you have for me. So I'm looking, I'm listening, and I'm paying attention to my words. I've set the trajectory of my day. I'm praying for opportunities that God will give them to me. Because if I'm not focused, I'm passing all sorts of opportunities all the time. I do this. There's many days where I am not focused, and I'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, that was, yeah, I should have said something there, or I should have encouraged there, whatever it may be. We miss these opportunities. So the first thing is we pray for opportunities. The second thing is we engage people. We engage people. This is different than just a simple hello. See, there's a welcome, and there's also belonging. See, when we engage people, we're thinking of building relationships. Many of us here today, myself included, said, hey, good morning, good morning, good morning, and we pass people. That is welcome. That is not belonging, right? I've had many, many people over the years say, your church is so welcoming. That is awesome. Good job. Keep at it. But... I'm just not going to stay here because I'm just not belonging. I'm not finding that fit, that connection. And as I say these words, some of you here today, in fact, probably many of you are going like, yeah, I feel that. I felt that. Like, I feel welcome, but I'm looking for that place. Church, this is, 
crucial, not only for followers of Jesus to have welcome and belonging, but as we share Jesus, not just looking at people as a project, hey, welcome, I want you to know Jesus, but no, actually, you, you belong. You're part of this. This is why connecting with one another throughout the week over meals or coffee or sports or activities are huge. That's why group life is huge here, just getting to know and connect with other people. So important. So we pray for opportunities. We engage people with both welcome and belonging. And the third thing is we use what we have. We use what we have. If you're still open to Mark 4, flip over uh, to the left there to chapter 2. I want us to read a couple verses here. So this is a passage where Jesus invites Levi to follow him. And I want you to pay attention to what Levi does. I want you to see if he goes and finds a bunch of Jesus followers to hang out with or who he hangs out with. I want you to see what Levi uses to share Jesus with others. Um, So let's just pay attention here of this interaction between Jesus and Levi and others. Verse 13 of chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So when we look at this passage here, Jesus calls Levi. Levi has an opportunity to just ignore everyone that's around him. But what does Levi use to reach other people? His table. Yes, his home. He invites Jesus to his home. What else does Levi have that he uses to reach? Food. Yes, food. Jesus likes food. Remember that? He apparently likes lakes. He's been by lakes twice already in this message too. So he likes lakes and food. Yep, food and his house, his table. What else does Levi have? Connections. His friends, right? Other tax collectors and sinners, as it says. He doesn't ignore them. He brings them to Jesus and brings Jesus to them. See, the longer you're a Christian, there's something really unfortunate that happens. The longer you follow Jesus, that old group of friends that are not following Jesus, you step out of that and you have fewer and fewer and fewer non-Christian friends. I've heard way too many Christians over the years just be like, I don't have any non-Christian friends. And I'm like, why? Why not? You're missing the point of following Jesus. Why? And you have opportunities as followers of Jesus to engage people who are not following Jesus by what you have. By relationships, by tables that you have, the homes that you have, the food that you have. You have uh, property, hobbies, sports, 
uh, jobs, vehicles, uh, meals that you have, community projects, your kids, your grandkids. The list could go on and on and on. You have bridges around you. Use them to connect people to Jesus and Jesus to people. Use what you have to share and reach. The fourth thing, as we talk about how we do this, if you put the the fourth one up there. The fourth one is listen to other stories. And I intentionally put that there right next to number five, five following four of share your story and have gospel conversations. So often what we're quick to do is we're quick to share our story and try to have a gospel conversation without listening to the stories of others. Because remember, people are not projects, people are people. Jesus is really intentional about listening to other stories. For so long, the church has existed on this proclamation type of model, which is important, but we need to strategically realize how we're communicating, if we're communicating, and what we're communicating. Meaning this. If I said, hey, we're going we're gonna to call a timeout on the message right now, and so I need this group of people, I need you to load up into your cars, and I need you to go over to the, the east side of Michigan, okay? Um, or Michigan, of Marshall. Hey, that's a big area. Um, of Marshall, the east side of Marshall. What I want you to do is I want you to spread out, and I just want you to start going door to door. All right? Same thing here. I want you guys to go to the south side of Marshall. I want you to load up in your cars, go down there, and just start going door to door. You guys, you're going to the north side of Marshall. All right? All right, let's go. This would probably be the response, right? <laughs> or some of you would get in your cars and just drive home. Why? Why, why is that? We, we get nervous about that. We, we have just felt like proclamation for so long, whether it's standing on a street corner or holding a billboard or going door to door or whatever, is, it, it feels like a hammer versus an act of love. And I am not saying to get rid of all methods of evangelism. But Barna did research, and these are interesting numbers that we need to pause on. They found that 47% of millennial Christians believe sharing their faith with others is wrong. And I want you to notice a key word in here. This is not 47% of millennials. This is millennial Christians. So those who are 25 to 40. 47% of millennial Christians believe sharing their faith with others is wrong. Now, before you join the national pastime of bashing millennials, we need to pause and we need to see another statistic. Can you put the next one up? Is that 94% of millennial Christians think the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. And again, before you bash millennials for not making sense, pause on this. 47%, almost half of them, feel it's wrong to share faith, but yet almost all of them believe that knowing Jesus is the best thing that could happen to someone. What do you do with that? Jesus engaged in relationships. Jesus engaged in conversations. Jesus engage with people. Millennials and and those who are younger than them value authentic relationships. Value authentic communication. 
This is why sometimes when you hear things said or spoken by those who are in millennial and younger generations, you go like, what? I can't believe they said that. It's an authenticity. It is what is coming out. Whether you like it or not, Jesus, his approach was very conversational. Yes, he proclaimed, but it was very conversational. Jesus was asked 370 questions in Scripture, somewhere around 370. You want to see how many he answered? Directly, eight. Jesus was asked about 370 questions. He directly answered about eight of them. Why? Jesus asked questions back. Jesus engaged in conversations. Jesus saw people as people, not as projects. Jesus knew that just simply by hitting with apologetics and facts and figures, although they may be true, it's not speaking truth in love. It's not seeing people for people. And so Jesus went to people's homes, and he ate with them, and he asked questions of them, and he got to know them. And yes, he spoke what was true. And yes, he challenged people. And yes, he called people out on sin in their life. But there was a bridge that was there. And so do we listen to people around us, or do we just proclaim Jesus? The fifth thing is share your story, which you've already seen, and have gospel conversations. So we need to listen to stories, but we also need to share our story and have these gospel conversations. This week I had a guy stand in my driveway for about 45 minutes, and he was sharing his story. It was the first time I'd met him. I'd had conversations with him at other times on the phone and email, but he was just sharing his story. And I listened and listened and listened, and eventually I had an opportunity to share my story and to bridge that into a gospel conversation about Jesus and to talk about the way I just see God working personally and around us. Now, did he receive Christ that day? Nope. Is that like every conversation I have? Nope. But that day, it was an opportunity. I listened to his story and shared mine and had that gospel conversation. So let's listen and let's share. Sixth thing is you can invite someone to church or an event. So we pray, we engage We, um, I lost the third one. We use what we have. We listen to stories. We share our story, and we can invite to church or an event. This service is starting to fill up. There's still seats around. But eventually, we're going to need to go to a third service because we want people to hear about Jesus. We want you to be able to bring someone and know that there's room. And so what we're going to ask you in this service is for some of you to go to the third service to make room so people can come here and that you have room to invite people to the third service. And you may be saying, well, I really like 10 o'clock. I get to get out and have lunch at this time. Okay, that's great. But the reason we want to do this is to make space for people to meet Jesus and to know and to grow. And this is coming, so I want to plant this seed in your mind when it gets closer. And even, too, I'm, I'm really impressed here. So good job filling some of these seats up front, too. Is that if you're a regular here, don't just cram yourself in the back. Move forward. It is really uncomfortable for people who are newer to come sit up front. I'm scary, apparently. <laughs> so thank you, this crew up here. Um, so move forward. Leave space. Be considerate about how you sit in aisles. Is that we want to have space for people to come and meet Jesus. 
and also. That's right. And we want to go, woo. That's right. When they meet Jesus. I love it. <laughs> so next week, what we're going to be doing is, uh, I have lost my train of thought. Oh, seven. There's a seven. Uh, that's right. Invite. That's where I was at. Seven is uh, remain faithful. Is that it can become discouraging uh, when we look for opportunities and we just don't see them or we don't take them. Remain faithful. Romans chapter 1 says this, uh, if I can find it in my notes here. Romans chapter 1, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. We have no need to be ashamed of the gospel, no need to be ashamed of Jesus, the good news, because it is a beautiful thing. Um, it gets messy when you get people involved and like Christians have made choices and said things that are painful. We recognize that. But the gospel of Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is beautiful. And Jesus is the one that does the work is that we're not ashamed of the gospel, this pure, beautiful thing, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's not my power, it's not your power that causes someone to come to Christ. It's the power of God, the power of God's Spirit working in and through us and them. And so we're motivated by Jesus' call to share. We're reminded to share. God loves us. Jesus died for you. That salvation is available. The ways we share, we went over those, those seven. And I want to remind you, too, is that we have an app and uh, a website that has all the notes on it. So if you're just saying, like, man, he's flying through all this stuff, um, you can go back and look at this. And so when you invite as well, this is something that I didn't mention, you can invite here, but you can also invite in line. Something that I'm finding to be pretty common is uh, for a lot of people, I introduce myself uh, when someone is newer. And many times people will just be like, oh, I know who you are. And which is really nerve-wracking for me because uh, it's basically because they've watched online. And this is a front door. And so you can invite someone here, but you can also say, hey, my church meets at 8.30 and 10 o'clock. Go to the site, click the live online button, and you can watch online. That's really the front door. So next week, this is where I was beginning to go. We're going to begin a new series entitled, Who's Your One? Who is your one. See, our mission as a church is to develop, to serve in order to reach one more. And so who's your one? Who is that person? Who's that one person you're praying for that you're desiring to, for them to know Jesus? What's their name? And so since late spring, the deacons here and the staff have, have had a one. And when we meet, we've shared updates about our one. We're praying for our ones. Uh, we just sharing what God's doing. And you're going to have a one as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, next week when you come in, we're going to give you a, a prayer guide and give you a bookmark that you can put your one's name on there and then ways to pray and some ways to read scripture and pray that. There's a family devotional that you can do with your family if you so choose. Uh, we want to just give you some tools to start praying and be really intentional. And these are the parameters that we're, we're putting on to be intentional about a one. These three things. Um, first one is that it's someone that's not walking with Jesus. Uh, someone that, you know, never has met Jesus or someone that's walked away from Jesus, whatever it may be. Just they're currently not walking with Jesus. The second one is that they're local to your community. Community. You may be praying for Aunt Susie out in California. That's great and wonderful. Keep praying for her. But we're talking about life on life here is that this person is local to the community that you're a part of. And then the third thing is that you rearrange your life to spend time with this person. So you figure out ways to, to hang out with this person, to 
invite the person over or share meals or coffee or whatever it is. You're rearranging your schedule to invest in this person. And again, yes, we want them to know Jesus, but they're not a project. Please be reminded of that. It's about building relationships. It's about investing. Because many of us had someone who invested in us, that one person that took time and cared for us, that one person that pointed us to Jesus. So who's that one for you? We'll talk much, much more about this as it comes. I'm going to close with a, uh, an illustration, or not an illustration, a story um, that Rick Warren from Saddleback shared. And we can look at Saddleback and look at the tens of thousands of people and um, you know, even hundreds of thousands of people that came to know Christ there, but the point is one. And the heartbeat of this is one. Their pastor shared this story. He said, the night before my father died, my wife, my niece, and I were in his bedroom by his side. Dad suddenly became very agitated and tried to get out of bed. Of course, he was too weak to get up, so Kay insisted that he lay back down. But he kept persisting in trying to get out of bed. Finally, Kay, in exasperation, said, Jimmy, you cannot get up. You are dying. We will get you whatever you need. What are you trying to do? My dad replied, I've got to save one more for Jesus. I've got to save one more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. He began to repeat that phrase over and over and over. It is no exaggeration to say that during the next hour, he repeated the phrase probably a hundred times. Got to save one more for Jesus. Warren said as he sat by his father's bed with tears flowing down his cheeks, he bowed his head to thank God for the legacy of his father's compassionate faith. While my head was bowed, my dad reached out and placed his frail hand on my head and said, as if commissioning me with a sacred calling, reach one more for Jesus. Reach one more for Jesus. It was a holy moment, and I knew what I was supposed to do the rest of my life, regardless of the problems, illnesses, conflicts, critics, attacks, delays, difficulties, and other barriers. One more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, may we be a church that follows this call of one more for Jesus. Lord, may we walk in your footsteps, your compassionate care. Lord, may we be a people that proclaim the love of the Father, proclaim that Jesus died and that salvation is available. God, I pray that we would be that church. And Lord, as we move into this next series, God, that we just have this crystal-like focus, this clarity. God, for anyone here or anyone who's watching online that's never said yes to following Jesus, beginning that relationship, it's an opportunity here today. As the scripture said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so if that's you today, May those words be yours. Jesus, you are my Lord. And Jesus, I believe that you were raised from the dead. Thank you for taking my sin upon yourself on the cross. Lord, I confess that to you today. And Lord, I receive your forgiveness. And I walk anew with you. 
And for each one of us, God, I I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our mouths this week, God, to walk in your ways, Lord, to take opportunities to be individuals who share you. And we love you and praise you. pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.